0: Uh, That's the way you transition out of a cute Christmas children's (laughs) program, isn't it? Uh, Marley was dead. Those are the first three words of Charles Dickens' classic story, A Christmas Carol. Uh, Jacob Marley was the business partner of Ebenezer Scrooge, and now he's dead on Christmas Eve. And in many ways, Marley's death becomes the death of Scrooge. At least the death of whatever warmth might have been left in his cold, cold heart. Here's how Dickens writes about Scrooge. The cold within him froze his old features. He carried his own low temperature always about with him. I wonder what is the cold within you this holiday season. I wonder what low temperature You're carrying around with you. Because it can happen to us uh, in ways that are kind of surprising and unexpected and in ways that we often cannot pinpoint exactly when or where or why it happened, but we find ourselves more and more all the time just walking around with a heart that has long since iced over. I was talking with someone earlier this week. They said, they think this is going to be the first Christmas in 15 years they're actually looking forward to it. Uh, Something happened 15 years ago that turned them into a bit of a Scrooge. And it can be circumstances that do it in our lives. It can also be beliefs that do this to us. I, I think one of the realities with Ebenezer Scrooge, the circumstances in his life that he doesn't like they actually reinforce a worldview that he has uh, that keeps him in this kind of cold-hearted place. If Scrooge had been at worship with us today and he had heard the Bible reading, can I talk about the Bible reading for just a second? We had this big conversation going on all week long around all the Hope campuses. You know, Should we keep this Romans 13 passage or should we do a different passage because kids are going to be reading it? And and I said, well, in Ankeny, we actually have adults scheduled to read it, so it's okay to talk about sexual promiscuity. So the parents of whoever the little girl was who read here, Betty said she would love to talk to your daughter about sexual promiscuity. <laughs> Just we'll set up the appointment, you'll be good to go. Ah. <laughs> the first four words of the Bible reading were O nothing to anyone. It's possible that's Scrooge's favorite verse. It's underlined and highlighted. Oh nothing. This is like the way he operates in life. I owe nothing to anyone. And so when those portly gentlemen come by and they say, hey, would you like to contribute anything to this Christmas fund? We're trying to help the poor in our community. He says, nothing. I, I want to help no one. I want to celebrate nothing. You know, I bah humbug. And this is, he thinks, a biblical way of living his life. And he's partly right. It comes from Scripture, but it's easy to do this, isn't it? Take some words that are in the Bible out of context and use it to become the way we live our lives, thinking it's a biblical way to live our lives, but it's not really at all. So let's look at the rest of this verse, Romans 13, verse 8. On the screen, read it out loud with me. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. let's talk about this word obligation for a little bit. I don't know about you, when I see that word, it immediately a negative connotation. Obligations are not a few of my favorite things. Obligations are not something I look forward to. Obligations are something I kind of dread. So, I have an obligation to pay my bills. I have an obligation to follow traffic laws. You know, the Hawkeyes have an obligation to shake the hands of the Cyclones after they beat them in basketball. We'll just move right along. So, (laughs) obligation, obligation. It's not something we like. And so why would Paul say we have an obligation to love? We have an obligation to love. Why is that the word he chooses? So I'm rereading A Christmas Carol this week, and a couple of different times, Dickens would use the phrase, much obliged. Much obliged. One character would do something for another character, and the response would be, I'm much obliged. An expression of gratitude. A a way of saying thank you. And so if we keep that kind of as our filter, our our lens through which we think about this obligation to love, I think it starts to get us a lot closer to the point that Paul is trying to make. Our obligation to love is not this heavy burden that we carry around with us. Our our obligation to love our neighbor, it's not something that we have to do because if we don't do it, we won't fulfill the requirements of God's law. And if we don't fulfill the requirements of God's law, everybody knows God's a bit of a scrooge himself and so God's going to punish us. No, that's not the point uh, that Paul's trying to make here. He's trying to remind us we love because God first loved us. We love because God first loved us. And so we love one another. We love our neighbor because we are much obliged to the love that God has so freely bestowed on us. The love that God has freely given us think about the mission statement that we have here at hope reach out to the world around us share the everlasting love of jesus christ we do not carry out our mission because it's an obligation yeah you were there you go there it is we don't carry out our mission because it's an obligation we carry out our mission because we are much obliged and it's so important to keep things in that order if we reverse the order or mess up that order in any kind of way then we start to become people who are trying to earn god's love trying to prove that somehow we are worthy of God's love. When the flow gets messed up, it just messes things up in all sorts of ways. So at Hope, we like to talk about it this way. Rather than talking about obligation or much obliged, we say it's a get-to, not a got-to. It's a get-to, not a got-to. Worship is a get-to, not a got-to. Serving is a get-to, not a got-to. Giving is a get-to, not a got-to. If we turn faith, if we turn following Jesus into a got-to, if we make it all about obligations and responsibilities and things that we must do or else, and then faith and following Jesus starts to become this burdensome thing that we don't really like or look forward to in any way at all. It starts to feel like a prison. Who wants to go there? Well, I've got an obligation to do it. I guess I better. And all of a sudden, I mean, it makes sense why fewer and fewer people in this country anyway want to have anything to do with the church. They just feel this heavy-duty burden obligation. There's this really interesting passage in Jesus' life. It's from John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up uh, John chapter 8. And it begins with the religious leaders of Jesus' day who are arrogant, self-righteous, judgmental. They drag a woman in front of Jesus who's been caught in the act of adultery. Interesting, they don't drag the man who was also caught in the act of adultery, just the woman. And they say to Jesus, what do we do? Law of Moses says we have an obligation to kill her for her sins. They're holding stones, they're ready to stone her. And we know Jesus' response. Whoever is without sin can cast the first stone. And so these men, these religious leaders, drop their stones and they walk away one by one. And Jesus says to the woman... I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. I'm thinking about if, if I were to have a, a similar kind of conversation, if Jesus were to say to me, Scott, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Just kind of the way that I, I'm wired. That would feel a little condemning actually. What do you mean go and sin no more? How long do you think I can last? A minute? Five minutes? And how, how long can I go without? And so if, it doesn't necessarily feel like this great thing. So, why does Jesus say this to her? Keep reading. And one of the things we see later on in uh, John chapter 8 is Jesus talks about himself as the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light that leads to life. And so it's almost like the go and sin no more is an invitation to walk in the light. Go and sin no more is an invitation to stop walking in the darkness and to live more and more according to the way of Jesus, guided by the light of Jesus. So, yeah, we, we are still going to be far from perfect, but more and more all the time we might start to live and act and prioritize our lives according to the, the way of Jesus. We'll have the light that leads to life. And so people are around Jesus trying to figure out, Should we believe this guy? We're watching everything that he does and listening to all he says. Is it possible he really is the Messiah? And some people just kind of roll their eyes and shake their heads and think he's just another in a long line of false messiahs. But there are others who believe Jesus. And in verse 31, Jesus says this to those who believe in him. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free the truth will set you free. Let's all say that. The truth will set you free. I don't know what it is about our human nature, but we have this tendency to think faith and following Jesus and and religion. It's all about restrictions. It's all about thou shalt not, and we forget. Jesus says completely the opposite thing. You will know the truth, and later on he will say, I am the truth, When you know me, it leads to a life of freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Over and over and over, the reality of scriptures is pointing us to a life of freedom. It's a get-to, not a got-to. And this was a big part of what we were trying to communicate all fall long in the midst of our giving campaign, uh, Building to a Hope Beyond. If you weren't here last weekend, uh, we announced that this congregation freely, cheerfully uh, gave over $3 million to a project that we want to expand our space here because we could use a little more space, especially on weekends like this. And so... um $3 million is great, and it's awesome, and we're praising God, and our goals are still a little bit higher than that. And so we have a door over here. We're just going to keep around the building for a while. Uh, We use the metaphor of the door throughout the campaign. We're trying to open the door, more people to experience the new life and the eternal life that uh, God has for us. So this door represents, we've more than cracked the door open. We're more than halfway to our goal, Uh, but we're going to keep on knocking, keep on asking, keep on seeking, and, and believing the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 7, that as we do that, Uh, At some point, in God's way and in God's timing, the door will be opened for us. This is true for a giving campaign. It's also true for all sorts of realities in our life. Uh, Hopefully you noticed in the Hope 360, we were talking about the mission project we have this year at Advent. We always have an Advent mission project where we like to pray for and give to help people in different parts of the world. Uh, This year, it's the Philippines. Cabagao is the community we're hoping to help. You go online, you read all about what we're trying to do with this project. You can pray for the people of Cabagao and you can contribute online. We also have donation uh, boxes in the back by the mission booth. You can give there as well. You are not obligated to give. It's a get-to, not a got-to. Hopefully you also heard about uh, the increasing Hope Local sites that are uh, popping up all around uh, central Iowa and potentially down in the Kansas City area. Hope Local sites, people who gather together and worship along with the live stream from the West Des Moines campus. And so there's a group of people from here in Hope Ankeny who live in Bondurant and are hoping to get hope to more and more people in in that community. So the Hope Local site in Bondurant starts January 6th at Brickhouse Fitness, And uh, we're excited about this. At the same time, I just want you to be really clear. Like, if you live in Bondurant and worship here at Hope Ankeny, you are not obligated to go to the Hope Local site. Uh, If you live in Bondurant and worship here at Hope Ankeny, you're not obligated to stay here and not go to Brick House. You are free. It's a get-to, not a got-to. The question is, how's God at work in you? Where is God leading you? And will you respond faithfully, obediently, Uh, to whatever it is God is up to in your life hopefully you start to see when you look at all three of these realities when the church is being the church when we're doing what God has asked us to do when we're uh, responding much obliged to the love of God and we're reaching out and sharing that love you start to see new communities of faith popping up all over the place whether it's the Philippines or South Africa or Bondurant or, or here in Ankeny the reality is there's a lot of people around us who are walking in darkness And they're looking for the light that leads to life. And as we carry out our mission, there's going to be more and more people all the time who want to follow that light and and get into the life that Jesus has for us. Think about the people in your life who you know are in these dark places who are convinced when they look at the circumstances of their life, they're convinced there either is no God or if there is a God, God is not for them. God is against them. God is working to make their life miserable. If there was ever a family who could come to that conclusion, it would be the Cratchits in A Christmas Carol. Bob Cratchit, one of the employees of Ebenezer Scrooge, barely gets a livable wage. He and his family are just scraping by and they've got this son, Tiny Tim, who has an illness and they're worried the illness might take his life. But when you look at them, in the midst of all of these circumstances, they still display this warm and beautiful kind of faith in God. Take a look.
1: Oh, 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 oh. oh, make space. Oh, I can't take
0: that camera off. Oh, lovely. Well done, Peter. Oh. I don't believe I've ever seen a more magnificent goose cooked. It's a beautiful bird, that's for sure. But I pray that one Christmas, perhaps children might taste a turkey. Perhaps one day, my dear. Perhaps one day. A toast. To Mr. Scrooge. The founder of our feast. Ha! Founder of the feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon and I'd hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear children, it's Christmas Day. Christmas Day, I'm sure. How can one drink the health of, of such an odious, stingy, odd, unfeeling man as Mr Scrooges? You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you. My dear, Christmas Day. I'll drink his health for your sake and the days not for his. A merry Christmas and a happy new year. You'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. A merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. God God bless bless us. us. God bless us. Everyone. Uh, Last week I referenced an article that talked about how in the year 2017, Average American spent $1,000 on clothing, buying 66 new garments and over seven pairs of shoes. I remember as a kid when Christmas season rolled around, the one thing I didn't want for a present was clothes. Now I love getting clothes for Christmas. What new sweater vest will I get this year? Anyway, uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about a different kind of wardrobe in Romans 13. Let's read this verse out loud together. Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself with Christ. His presence is the best present you could ever receive. And of course, you would expect a preacher to say something like that, right? But in a practical sense, what does that actually mean? What does it look like to clothe ourselves with Christ? It looks a little bit like the Cratchits in that scene that we just watched. They're praying for the person in their life who's the most difficult to love. A toast to Mr. Scrooge. I think it looks a lot like Wednesday night this last week. Wednesday night, among many things, is student ministry night here at at Hope. And so we have power life for 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. They started off by playing a game. I think it was shake your hat and gloves off, it was called. And so they put on some hat and gloves, and then it was just shake to see who could get it to fall off. And then uh, we moved in some really heavy topics, depression and suicide and other kinds of darkness that people find themselves going through and that our middle school and high school kids are not immune from. And we reminded them Christmas is a season where the light comes into the world. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. And so how do we keep pointing ourselves to that light when we are in the midst of those dark times in our lives? And how do we be friends who shine the light of God's love into the dark times and the dark places of the people that we love? The light shines in the darkness. The darkness can never overcome it. We need that light to shine, and that's one of the reasons why we're having eight different Christmas Eve services here at Hope Ankeny this year, 35 services Hope-wide. We want to make room for you to invite as many people as you possibly can to come and to hear the good news of God's light, a light that's strong enough to warm any icy heart. And so here's the challenge for you, the Christmas Eve invitation challenge. Yes, I want you to invite the people that you really like. Uh, The people that you would love to sit next to uh, weekend after weekend at worship. But would you maybe take the bold, scary, risky move of inviting those people in your life who are difficult for you to love right now? Who's the Scrooge in your life these days? And what might it look like for you to actually invite Scrooge to come and sit with you and your family this year At Christmas Eve services. I think that would be a way of declaring that you actually believe God's love is the strongest force in the universe. It's a power that's strong enough to transform anyone, even Scrooge. That's my favorite part of A Christmas Carol, this transformation that Ebenezer Scrooge goes through. He has a dream one night, and in the middle of the dream, he has an encounter with the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future. And as scene after scene from his life passes before him, he starts to come to this realization how much of his life he has been missing out on. Uh, My favorite part of Wednesday night, student ministry night, we got to serve communion to the students, the middle school and high school students. And it was one of those moments where I was just reminded how fast time is going. One of the sixth grade girls came up, and I looked at her, and I'm thinking to myself, I remember visiting you in the hospital in Ames when you were born, you know, talking to you, and now you're a sixth grader. High school students would come up, and I'd see these faces that were familiar, but they were attached to bodies of, like, adults. When did that happen? Time flies, doesn't it? And if we're not paying attention, if we're not intentional, if we're not purposeful, we can miss out on what matters most in this life. And I think this is part of the reality. Sometimes the hurt and pains of our life, those circumstances that happen that we don't quite know what to do with the hurt and the pain that we feel from that, sometimes it causes us to just kind of check out. Emotionally, relationally, we're we're more like zombies. We're walking around, kind of sleepwalking through life. And it causes us to miss out, to miss out, to miss out. Paul and the other New Testament writers write about this reality actually quite a bit. This is verse 11 of Romans 13. Read it with me. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. You might not think you need a wake-up call. You might not have shown up for worship today thinking this is going to be the wake-up call I needed. But I'm guessing there's someone in your life who's been praying for you to wake up a spouse, one of your children, a parent, a close friend, that somehow God would get a hold of you and open your eyes so that you could see the perfect love God has for you and that that could be something that could fill you and warm you and transform you. Wake up. When we don't think it's us, you know, oftentimes it's a blind spot. And the problem with blind spots, we can't see it. So who's the person in your life that you allow you to speak some of those challenging, difficult words into your life? Here are some things that I see that I don't think you see, and it needs to change, and it's causing you to miss out on the best kind of life. Uh, This is the 2009 version of A Christmas Carol, a Disney version, some sort of animation going on there, Robert Zemeckis directed it, and uh, Jim Carrey plays Scrooge, and so... I'm watching it and I'm like, man, this is like scary. I'm freaking out as I'm watching some of the scenes in there. I was thinking maybe we could watch it as a family. We probably could, but I mean, my kids would have to comfort me through it because it was so scary. (laughs) So the ghost of Christmas future arrives and takes Scrooge in one scene out into a cold wintry cemetery. And he's on his knees in front of a tombstone and it becomes clear it's his tombstone. And he's freaking out. Scrooge wants to get as far away from that as he possibly can. He's scrambling to get away, but the ground around him starts to sink in this rectangular shape. He's holding on to the edge of it, trying to climb out of this hole that just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And you look at the bottom of the hole, it's a casket. He's scrambling to get out, scrambling to get out, and he loses his grip and he begins to fall. And here's what happens next. Take a look. (laughs) They're still here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still here. Still <laughs> I'm still here. I'm still here! I am still i do not know what to do. And light is a feather. Mary is a schoolboy. <laughs> I've heard that laugh before. <laughs> I say, what's today? What's today, my fine fellow? Today? What Christmas day? It's Christmas day? I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. They can do anything they like. Of course they can. Of course they can. <laughs> Hello, my fine fellow. Do you know the poultryers on the corner? I should hope I did. <laughs> what an intelligent boy. <laughs> do you know whether they've sold the prized turkey that was hanging there? Not the little prize turkey, the big one. The one as big as me? <laughs> what a delightful child. Yes, my book. It's hung in there now. Is it? Go and buy it then. Walker. No, no, I'm in earnest. Go and buy it. Bring it back here and I'll give you a shilling. Come back in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. I'll send it to Bob Cratchits. He shan't know who sent it. It's twice the size of Tiny Tim. (laughs) Would you stand with me? Scrooge wakes up, and he is much obliged, and he begins living his life from this place of a get-to rather than a got-to. It changes everything for him, and I hope it might change everything for you. We're going to sing one more Christmas carol together, and then we'll let you go. Let's sing.